back, everybody. You're listening to Secret Truths, Conspiracies Exposed. I'm your co-host, Scott Patton, along with Mark Willison. Hey, Mark. How's it going today? Hey, Scott. Doing great. How about yourself? Uh, Awesome. Awesome. We spent uh, the weekend in New York. Let's go to an event. We'll be a keynote speaker on uh, podcasting and blogging and all that sort of good stuff. All right. And I tell you, the powers behind the power did their best to stop me. They sent a 70 mile an hour wind to New York, poured rain while I was there. They, did, <laughs> they didn't want me going to the uh, World Trade Center and seeing it for myself or <laughs> seeing much of anything in New York. But uh, we had a great time anyway. Got to meet a whole bunch of amazing New Yorkers. Um, cool. I have to say that, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting how people talk about different cities and the reputations that they get and, and all those sort of things. And um, when I was flying there, I was sitting beside a guy who was actually from South America, South Africa, I mean, and was work, living in New York. And he spent uh, basically was he had a place to hang his hat in New York. He was hardly ever there. And when when I told him we were going to the Newark airport, which you know when you look at a map, it's not that far from where we were staying, which was a penthouse near. Uh, Central Park, <laughs> and of course, everything, nothing is ever looks as far on a map as it does in real life, right? And he says, "Oh yeah, I think it's a ninety dollar uh, cab fare." And I was going like, you know, the Scott in me was going like, "Oh," and of course, you know, the Scott in him was saying, "Well, you can take a train from Newark to Penn State uh, Station, and then you just take the subway up, and you're and because the place I was staying was like uh, uh, two blocks away from the subway station on uh, Lexington, so." I said, okay, I'll do that. And of course, the flight arrives at 11.30. It's a half an hour late. It takes an hour for the baggage to arrive. So now we're looking at like 12.30 getting on the subways. And they're, I mean, felt safe the whole time. That wasn't the issue at all. The issue was they might close around 2 stop at 2. And I could be, you know, halfway to my, where I wanted to go, stuck on a subway to stop. (laughs) So... But anyway, this guy says, no, you go this here, 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 and it has it all mapped out for me, right? And I kind of write it down, but don't quite, which is a cardinal mistake. So <laughs> we, we get onto the train, the train goes, we get to Penn Station, and now we're just totally lost. My son is with me, right? My 20-year-old son. Uh-huh. And so uh, we, we go onto this platform, and, and uh, there's a, a couple there, and I go up to them, and I say, is this, does this take me to Times Square? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Just, just, and I didn't know which, you know, even if I was on a platform, I wouldn't know which way I was supposed to be going because I'm all turned around. I don't know if I'm supposed to be, I think I'm supposed to be going north, but which way it would be going when, I'm, when you're underground, I have no idea, right? <laughs> right? So he says, yeah, yeah, this is the right one. So then we're, we're looking at the, the map on the wall. It's really nice. You've got these uh, subway maps on the, on the wall, the big massive maps you can kind of look. And we were just trying to acclimatize and, and to, you know, get familiar with the map of, Manhattan, and it, it looked to him like we were just felt really lost, right? So he walked over and he pointed and he said, well, this is where we are, and this subway takes you up one stop here, and that's Times Square, and then you go from there, you take the subway over to Grand Central, and then from there you just take the subway up to up Lexington to 77th Street, and, and, and you're, you're away the races, right? So, you know, thanks a lot. And it just thought, you know, that was really, really nice of him. So he gets on with his uh, girlfriend or his wife, and, and we get on. And when we get to the station, you know, I kind of turn to sort of say thanks. And he says, yeah, this is where you want to get off. 
And, you know, like he was watching me. If I wasn't going to get off, he was going to make sure I got off, right? <laughs> like big, my, my big brother, right? Uh, and so we, we get off, and then we don't know where to go at Times Square, right? So we see a, a, a woman behind one of the counters, right? So it's, do I need to go to Grand Central Station? Where do I go? She goes, just go up one flight, take any subway. <laughs> I'm like, what? So we go up one flight, and like we're on this platform again, and just have, we don't even know, like we're, we're still kind of can't figure out what subway train is on what subway platform, right? Like, you know, because we can see there are numbers, right? Well, just, we need to get the number six train, but we can't see how you tell if you're on the platform for number six train or not, right? So we go up to another guy and his girlfriend. And this is Friday night. I guess they're out of dates. And I says, hi. I said, we need, is this the, does this train go to Grand Central Station? Yeah, this is the one. Great. So we get on, they get on, and... Uh, and we come up to Grand Central Station, and again, I'm going to turn and make eye contact and say thanks. And he goes, "Yeah, this is where you got to get off. And just, you know, head up there, and you'll see the, you know, following the one to number six where you where you're going, right? And like, but I could tell he was paying attention, right? He was like, if Scott and his son don't get off here, like, don't look like they're going to get off. I'm going to be telling them get off here, right? Right. You know, because you can tell when when you just sort of catch somebody's eye. And, and, and they're not paying attention, and then and you can tell when they're concerned, right? Sure. And, and, th- and they knew, I mean, we were very obviously tourists from, from, from the Hicks, <laughs> the hinterlands, and, and, and I just thought, you know, New York's reputation of, uh, you know, being hard and cold and fast and all these things, which, you know, obviously there is an element of truth in that no matter where you are in the world, uh, but we never ever hear about the fact that you know that people in New York are really friendly and helpful and and uh, you know because none of these people had to do any of that for us right but we really sure. felt like everyone that we met was helping us come along and I want to just um, and so we had no problem you know two o'clock in the morning we arrived and we retraced our steps the next day back to the to the airport because it was just kind of really different like you know anyone can take a cab. But to take three subways and a train to get to the to the airport and uh, and not have a problem was was pretty cool. And when we did it, what we didn't know was that the train from Penn Station to the to Newark Airport didn't run as early as we thought. Oh. Yeah. So it's like it's leaving at 5:26, and it has nothing that tells you what platform it's leaving from. And we're kind of like, we're there at 5 o'clock going, oh, you know, and our flight's at 7, so is it going to be enough time? I think so. I wish I could have time. I wish I had time myself coming so I would have known, right? Right. And, and so we're sitting there, and one of the things that, that was fairly obvious was uh, a lot of, a number of home. I won't say a lot because that gives the wrong impression, a number of homeless people were sleeping in Penn Station. And uh, a couple of policemen came in, and they would bang the, you know, wake everybody up and, and start talking to them, right? So we're waving, and you know, oh, we've got obviously got our luggage, like we're not homeless, uh, <laughs> but and we got our tickets and everything else. But we find a place to sit. And the next thing you know, kind of two uh, chairs down from us is a Jersey policeman talking to uh, a black guy, and with the stereotypic Jersey accent, right? Uh, sure. And he, you know, and he's just, you know, so 
older, you know, 55, 60 year old policeman and talking with a joisy accent and asking all these questions to this guy and getting mumbly answers. And in the beginning, it was kind of like, you know, police harassment was what I was feeling, right? You right. Know, you know, that's, and I think anyone listening in the beginning would have that sensation, right? Sure. Because cause it was just such a stereotypic, you know, we see it on TV all the time, you know, bad cop harassing poor homeless people, right? And, uh, and as this, the story unfolded, as he asked questions and everything else, the guy on the street was diabetic. He was supposed to be taking this drug every day for his diabetes. Hadn't taken it in like two weeks. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, like was, you know, obviously homeless, everything else. And so finally the, the cop, he calls in, he says, you know, send the wagon down. I've got a guy here. We've got to take him to the hospital. You know, like... I mean, it was like, in my opinion, really helping the guy out, right? It wasn't just sure. throwing you in jail. It's like, man, you've got a lot of real problems here, and if you if, if we don't do something, you're just going to die, right? Right. right. I don't want you dying, so let's go and get you, you know. So it was funny how our perception of the conversation changed over the 20-odd minutes we were sitting there, right? Right, right. And uh, so I thought, wow, that's kind of that's cool. And so 10 minutes before the train was supposed to leave, they announced the station, and What's cool is we weren't the only ones going, so we just followed, you know, the 30 or 40 people that were that were going. And I have to tell you something that was really quite funny. Is we, it was I think it was track uh, platform 13. My favorite number I was born on the 13th of October. And and so there's a door, and above it says 13, and right beside is another door that says 14. Right. So we're walking, we're heading for 13. Well, there's only one kind of like room for one person to go in and one person to come out, okay? Okay. On both these doors. And if you went into 13, there was an escalator, no stairs, and the escalators were coming up. So you couldn't go down. <laughs> so you had to go down 14, you know, and I took a glance and said, oh, yeah, escalator coming up, can't go that way. The person ahead of me walks in and stops when they see this escalator coming the other way, and it's just like brain freeze. Right? I have to go this way, but how can I go down there? I can't go down that way. <laughs> it's so funny. It was, it, I mean, her reaction was funny, but what was even funnier, what, and we were laughing, is there's this door, you'll go to 13. Well, you can't. You've got to go to 14, right? <laughs> and you come down, and then there's 13 and 14 are, are right together. Got on, got to the airport in lots of time, and, and flew home and, and without incident at all. So our trip to New York was uh, was wonderful. Very good. Well, mm -hmm. uh, welcome back. Uh that sounds like it was very. It sounds like it was exciting. It, yeah, it was exciting. We just had a great time. New York's a wonderful city, and uh, the place that we stayed, the bed and breakfast penthouse off of uh, Central Park, was was absolutely stunning. And can't say enough uh, good things about uh, about uh, about New York. It was it was wonderful. So, oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and that was my experience of it. And other people may have different experiences. And, if you're in Haiti, uh, you have a totally different experience than what I had. Yeah, absolutely. They're still uh, they're still having some struggles over there, I hear. Yeah, I guess about 500 people have died, and uh, there's been millions and millions of dollars in damage done. Um, and I guess one of the things that, that's comforting is knowing that when there are crises that occur, how uh, mankind as a and as a rule, just 
bonds together and uh, pulls together to help people in need. You know, and all those people in Haiti, I mean, they needed medical supplies and medical uh, assistance and food and everything else. And um, I understand that, you know, the French, there's a French organization, I believe it's a French organization, I may be wrong, Doctors Without Borders, I mean, they were ready to go into Haiti and, uh, and help them out in, in like very, very quickly. So that was great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. They they were uh, on a mission to get over there, and the United States sent over, uh, I believe, 13,000 uh, U.S. troops to help help out with the situation and provide aid and disaster relief. And uh, yeah, definitely, um, we've seen we've seen uh, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, you know, help uh, getting together to help out the cause, and uh, and yeah. it's you know it's it's really it is really the, good. The Haitians are sleeping easy now. Yeah, yeah, right. Thanks to George and Bill, save the day. But uh, I think it's uh, I think it's kind of interesting that um, you know there's been all there's been a big backlash in in res- response to all of the United States troops that are over there. And there's a lot of people that are you know they're feeling like, well, geez, I mean, what are thirteen thousand troops? What are you what are you doing with thirteen thousand troops over there? And how long are you going to keep them for? Yeah. And so they, uh, from what I understand, they just recently uh, withdrew many of the, many of those troops because they were getting such a backlash and so much pressure about the supposed uh, United States occupation of Haiti. And so it got me to got me to kind of thinking about it, and I thought, well, you know, that is a good question. I wonder why they sent so many, you know, so many troops in there, and it seems like a really, really aggressive, uh, heavy type of force to be sending in for a humanitarian relief mission, if you will. Mm-hmm. And as I started digging into it, it turns out that, you know, that uh, that our people, the, the reason, well, I don't know why exactly we put, we sent so many people in such strong numbers over there, but I think it's fascinating that there's stories of, uh, you know, aid groups, like, like you were mentioning the Doctors Without Borders um, out of Geneva. They were you know, they have a whole airplane full of full, full of supplies and, and cargo and food and, and medicine and all this kind of stuff. And and the United, when they tried to land at you know land in the Haitian, the the airport in Port-au-Prince, they they were turned around by the United States military and said, no, we don't we don't want your we don't want your aid or we don't want your relief or or you're not allowed to to be here or something along those lines. And they literally were were turned around and. And that just, you know, it really makes you wonder, you know, like who's in charge of this operation that's that's turning back, you know, you know, people help, wanting to help out in good faith and and doing, you know, responding to a, a disaster like that. Why why would you, why in the world would you want to turn away, you know, relief and help and aid from anybody? Yeah, that's that's really funny. And yeah, the France actually has accused the U.S. of occupying quite devastated Haiti, saying Washington is hindering the relief efforts, and uh, and that they haven't been uh, allowing the doctors to land, which is really kind of a weird, weird thing when you think about it, eh? Right. It, it makes you wonder, you know, what 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 is it that they're trying to hide over there that they don't want people, you know, what that they don't want any other uh, involvement or help from other countries with. And so, you know, it got me to digging around a little more, and of course, uh, of course, as avid conspiracy theorists, you know, Google and and YouTuber are 
some of our most valuable resources, so it didn't take me long to to find some more information about this, and I'm finding a lot of guys that are discussing the fact that there's possibly a large gr- quantity of oil, um, oil reserves in, in Haiti, and in, oh, yeah. you know, and, and right in that Caribbean area there surrounding, you know, uh, Cuba and the Dominican Republic and Haiti and, and that whole little pocket there, I, I guess, is a, is what they call a, con- it's a, it's like a convergence where they have these three tectonic plates all coming together wow. and ru- basically running into each other and, you know, creating, creating this massive friction which allows these uh, these massive oil pockets to be formed. Right, right. Oh, wow. So that would give a real good reason for wanting to be in somewhat uh, position of strength in that area, wouldn't it? That would certainly, uh, you know, if if I was in that position, you know, I would think that that, you know, that would uh, I would I would certainly want to befriend the. The, the the Haitian government and and the surrounding areas and maybe get my foot in the door to have access to another line of oil. Right. That would uh, that would that would make strategic sense to me. Right. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. So I did a, a little bit of research on this topic, and according to the French scientist Daniel Mathurin, so it's interesting that this is a French. Here we have the French scientist about to say what I'm about to read, the saying what I'm about to read, and we have the French accusing the uh, the U.S. of not allowing Doctors Without Borders to land or airplanes to land. Right. And uh, you know, I mean, so you, we all have all these. There are all these different players, and they're always uh, kind of uh, vying for position, right? Absolutely. So Daniel says the Central Plateau, including the region of uh, Thamon, the plain of the cul-de-sac and the, way, the bay of Port-au-Prince are filled with oil. He added that Haiti's oil reserves are larger than those of Venezuela. An Olympic pool compared to a glass of water, that is a comparison to show the importance of oil ha- Haitians have compared to those of Venezuela. Wow. He goes an, Olymp- on. an Olympic pool compared to a glass of water. Yeah. Wow. He also stated that we have identified 20 sites. Five of them are considered very important uh, as far as uh, the oil uh, people are concerned. And so you've got... Uh, <laughs> and then you've got the president of Venezuela, Chavez, announcing that he would write off the undisclosed sum of Haiti owes Venezuela for oil as part of their plans to help the impoverished Caribbean nation after the devastating earthquake. So, ah, interesting. Interesting, right? So, I mean, you've got uh, the Americans moving in, you've got the French trying to send support and not being able to, you've got Venezuela saying, you know what, we don't care how much you owe us, we're, we're going to help you out, we're going to just... And, and there will come a point in time where somebody has... And then you have George Bush who's from Texas and has a whole bunch of friends in the oil industry, right? Yeah. Uh, the special envoy. So you've got all these players coming in there going, you know, and and the thing is, is that I would have to say that the fact that there's oil there is not, even though it may be something that's being publicized now, right? Right. Is not something that was unknown 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. So as, a, as a matter of fact... Um Apparently, from what I understand, that one of the ways that they discovered that there's oil there 
is that they've got these uh, they've got this testing called EL, ELF uh, Earth Tor Tormography, but the, and the ELF actually stands for Extremely Low Frequency uh, Sound. Uh, I guess detection is what they're doing, and they're taking these these very low sound frequencies. Like if you can, uh, you know, when you hear those cars booming down the road with their big subwoofers and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess you they almost take a, feel it more than hear it. Exactly. So they take this sim a similar technology and they actually send these super low frequency sound waves down into the earth, and it allows them to uh, make like a little sonar map, if you will, of of what's in, you know, what's down inside the crust. Okay. And when they were using this technology, you know, that's how they they were looking for uh, like offshore oil reserves and and stuff out in the ocean. But this guy, this guy, Dr. Brooks Agnew, actually, you know, found that he found that when he was in the during the 1980s when he was searching for these oil and gas uh, pockets, he actually caught. This, this ELF machine that he was using actually caused an earthquake. Oh. Right oh. where he was, right where they were looking for oil. Curiouser and curiouser, as Alice in Wonderland would say. That's right. And so it made me, you know, it's, I thought, wow, that's a, that's a strange coincidence that, that uh, you know, we have this massive earthquake and now there's all this talk about oil and, and it turns out that the, the technology that's used to discover it can actually cause these earthquakes. Mm. And I was just, I was like, oh my gosh. And, so you start uh, digging into it a little bit, and it gets us, kind of takes us back full circle to these harp uh, big antenna arrays right. that, that are doing, you know, studying atmospheric whatever the heck they're supposed to be doing. And uh, <laughs> you know, we know for a fact that they have, you know, they have the ability to to affect the weather a little bit, and they can change mm -hmm. the you know, change the clouds and stuff like that. But what I found fascinating is that they've They've discovered uh, that the vast majority of large earthquakes over 5.0 have this massive electrical, uh, like electrical storm that happens before the actual earthquake. Oh. And so they don't know exactly what the what the link is that, that ties these things together. Well, is that kind of harp energy coming down? Is would that be what that could be? It, it's quite possible. Absolutely, and so. So you got these guys that are trying to reproduce uh, this effect in the laboratory and cause, you know, actually actually cause earthquakes with a machine. And they this guy, you know, develops this you know little mini model and he's he's showing he's got his his rocks that are you know represent the tectonic plates and he takes this little machine, flips it on, and sure enough, the uh, the ultra low vibration causes this. Causes the two rocks to slide down against each other. And where we are in Haiti is where three tectonic plates meet. Exactly. And right along that whole area, there are these three tectonic plates that are that are meeting. So if they are doing what you're suggesting, that would definitely, if you know, if the theory is correct and the, and they are using that technology to search for oil in that area, then that's exactly what probably happened. Yeah, it's it's definitely it would be a hot spot and uh, a very sensitive area for, you know, <laughs> obviously if you got three tectonic plates coming together, there's got to be a lot of pressure built up there, and probably wouldn't take much to to release a little bit of it. Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely fascinating, Mark. Good job. You know, the, one of the other things that I found when I was when I was looking into this is that 
on the day, the exact day before the earthquake happened, that the U.S. Southern Command, um, called Southcom, was doing a disaster simulation of a hurricane. What would happen if there was a hurricane in Haiti? And so they were, you know, they're actually going through the motions and saying, okay, what if there's a hurricane in Haiti? You know, what are we gonna do? We gotta mobilize this and that and the food and transportation and the medical supplies and we've got to you know we've got to keep order here and you know have some some type of security and protection so people aren't just rioting and looting in the streets and 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 then one day later boom massive disaster in haiti and i just think that that is an incredible coincidence as well Mm Hmm. what about that how about that eh So I, I I don't know exactly what all of this is, uh, you know what what the what the major point of this is, but it seems you know it seems very suspicious to me that there's all these coincidences lining up, and it seems like a scary proposition, you know, if if somebody could actually cause an earthquake, that would just I mean what an incredible weapon that that would be because you know you could you could cause a major disaster in some other country. And how are, how's anybody supposed to retaliate against Mother, you know, Mother Earth? Right. It would, you know, it would be like a very, seems like the perfect uh, sneak attack, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and the thing is, is it's in the realm of science fiction right now, which means that uh, we don't, you know, nobody can really conceive that this is possible for it to have happened, right? Right. Yeah, it's... um. It's 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 pretty much on the on the borderline there because who you know we really they won't tell us any information about what are they what are they really doing with those harp um, research stations and what are the you know what are the true capabilities of of the potential of those things and you know even if they could just do you know even if they could just affect a cloud you know like move a cloud in the sky from you know one position to another position slightly. You know, that's a, in my opinion, that's a really dramatic effect. You know, that would give you the ability to, to control, you know, manipulate the weather a little bit, and, you know, certainly that would uh, tie in with the chemtrails thing that we were talking about before. You know, if you could uh, basically paint the sky with this, you know, with these special special particles or whatever, and then you aim your, you aim your little uh, energy rays at these things, and and we're able to affect. You know the cloud structure or, or location or things like that. I mean, that seems like way science fiction to me, but but we know for a fact that it's that it's actually happening. And you know, for uh, to also to know that they've you know that they've actually caused earthquakes with this technology, trying to you know just trying to see into the ground and see what's see what's underneath it there. And, you know, it makes me. It makes me really think that there's a there's a lot more to this than they're lead, than they're letting on to. Yeah, and I mean, it's we're, what we're really talking about are a lot of smoking guns. So here's another coincidence that just I just discovered: the Air Force Major Ken Borland, 37, had flown into Haiti from the Dominican Republic the morning of the earthquake, with Lieutenant General Ken Keane, Deputy Director of U.S. Southcom with five other members of the U.S. Southcom. All five staying at the Montana Hotel escaped. 
Keene, outside the hotel at the time of the earthquake, is now overseeing U.S. military aid as commander of Joint Task Force Haiti. So, you know, what are the chances all of those people who were involved in SOCOM would be there flying in, you know, the morning of the earthquake? So, yeah, the deputy like director of the U.S. Southern Command traveled from the Dominican Republic to Haiti the morning of the quake. Yep. <laughs> awfully, uh, awfully good timing. Awfully good time. And it's reminiscent of... Um, this actually talks... This article talks a little bit about uh, 9-11. And one of the questions we had when we were talking about what was going on with 9-11, you recall that Mayor uh, Giuliani had his emergency uh, uh, war room or whatever you want to call it in right. one of the World Trade Centers. The, actually, the one that Nothing hit, but it still fell down? Right, number right? seven. So, uh, Mayor Juliana knew when to leave uh, number seven because he got advanced warning that the trade towers were about to collapse. So, here's a quote from Rudolph. It says, we were operating out of there when we were told that the World Trade Center was going to collapse. This is what Rudolph Giuliani told Peter Jennings of ABC News. So, the question they ask is, how did Giuliani, and I'd like to ask, know the answer to this too, is how did Giuliani know the towers were about to collapse. That's right. I mean, <laughs> how did anybody know that? Yeah. So, But, I mean, the guy was there and got out because the thing was going to collapse. So it's like, huh. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, suspicious stuff. So, <laughs> really, uh, really makes you, makes you wonder about the whole... The whole government, you know, everybody's really concerned about the big, you know, Big Brother watching them, and and the whole New World Order, and and the government takeover of everything, and and uh, yeah, this all of the all of the open ends that this this doesn't, you know, certainly doesn't tie up any loose ends. It just it just, you know, asks more questions actually, and and uh, you know, what the heck are we supposed to think about any of this stuff? You know, obviously you can't just, you know, I think the days of uh, just swal swallowing what they spoon feed us are, are kind of over. It's time to time to think for ourselves a little bit and, and wake up to, to what really might be going on here and and uh, what the, what we can actually do about it, you know, paying attention and and uh, being active about, you know, being active and talking to people and, and uh you know, just just generally, you know, having concern and caring, I think about about what's what's going on in the world. I think is is really impo important now more than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Very 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 important. Keep up to date and watch what's going on, and then don't be uh, fooled. That's right. Don't get fooled again, right? Fooled <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I think one of the things that, that we're going to have to start doing is pay attention to what uh, people are practicing. You know, as your, your local police, uh, what are they practicing, or uh, what are the military uh, exercises that are going on? Because it's seeming more and more like they're practicing for what is about to happen, knowing what's about to happen, as opposed to. Um, I mean, and I guess you know, when you start hearing rumors that that, uh, you know, we're doing a series of exercise and the scenario is an earthquake in Haiti and then, you know, the next day it happens and this 
seems to be continually going on. Like there was talk about the bombings in the subways in London a few years ago that the police and the military were practicing an exercise what to do if there was a bomb in the subways in London, and then, then it happens, right? Right. And, you know, and it seems to me that that is uh, just super arrogance on the, the part of the New World Order and the secret governments, right? Oh, let's just practice what we're going to do before we do it. And because if I was the secret government, I'd say, well, practice something else. And we need to be in a ready state, and, and I don't want you guys to know, I want you to be able to react quickly to whatever is going on and, and, uh, and, uh, and have a bit of a challenge. <laughs> but right. obviously that's, uh, that's not the way they look at it, right? Like, oh, let's, uh, let's have an earth, let's, you know, let's cause, we know that it's possible for a man-made earthquake to be uh, created, and uh, we know that they were practicing a response to an earthquake in Haiti, and then there was an earthquake in Haiti. So, you know, how many uh, dots do we need to join before we're thinking, like, there's a lot more going on here than we think? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, with as, much as, with as much as the government, should, you know, knows about everything right now and all the things that they're involved with, and, you know, we're, we're in operations all, all around the world, and, and yet there's just this huge veil of secrecy and you know it's like the only the only thing i even hear on the news right now is that tiger woods is coming back to play golf and yeah you know it's kind of it's kind of just like the old uh bait and switch kind of thing you know they uh, they're you know kind of like a magician is you know, watch my left hand but don't watch what's going on in the other hand and so you never notice the trick happening right 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 before your eyes that's right so <laughs> So, Mark, we've come to the end of another exciting Secret Truths episode. Uh, where can someone go if they want to know more about what's going on in the world? They want to uh, hit us up at secrettruths.mypodcastworld.com and send us your feedback and your comments and uh, send us any links, anything that you, uh, you think is important that we should be discussing on this show, and, and we'll check it out, and you guys keep... Uh, Keep on paying attention and, and doing your thing out there, and we look forward to uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. That's right, and that's secret truths with one T. Yeah, secret, secret truths with one secret truths with one T. So it all just rolls off rolls off real easy. And at dotmypodcastworld.com, yes, head over to secrettruths.com. blog post there and other stuff as well. Excellent. Thanks good. for joining us everybody. Yeah. We'll see you all next time. Alright, have a good one, Scott. Bye bye.